Michael Vonnen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and in this video I want to talk about a topic that was kind of suggested by a viewer, although I'm going to take a slightly different approach. The viewer recommended doing a video on the best and worst action scenes in Lord of the Rings, but I'm actually going to take a slightly broader view and talk about the approach to action scenes in the novels, the Lord of the Rings movies, and the Hobbit movies, and basically kind of compare and contrast and give examples of how that works out in each of the three different sets of fiction. So let's get started and start with the novels. In the novels, of course, the narrative of battles and combat and sort that sort of thing tends to get very truncated, which makes sense. I mean, in a written form, it's really hard to get into a lot of detail in terms of what's going on in a combat situation or an action sequence without boring the reader. I've actually read a novel once where it tried to kind of give a lengthy description of a, a duel between two characters, and it just kind of it doesn't work very well. So in the novels, as you might expect, you get fairly little in the way of detailed description, despite Tolkien's penchant for very detailed description of other things like the surroundings and things like that. So the, there are a few examples that go into a little detail, and that usually has to do with the more personal or plot-driven elements of either action scenes or combat. Some of the examples that come to mind, for example, from The Hobbit, would be when Bilbo finally takes on the spiders in Mirkwood. It actually does go through a little bit of the sequence of, you know, describing what he does, because it's kind of a plot-driven point. It's, it's showing he's, you know, really learning to use his courage and his wits to try to accomplish a goal to save the dwarves. And similarly, in The Lord of the Rings, you get a few different points in the, in the story where you get a little description of something that happens as opposed to just a very broad overview of there was a battle and this is the outcome. So when Frodo faces the, the Black Riders at Weathertop, there's a very brief but a detailed description of what happens. He puts on the ring, he sees the Black Rider with the knife, which of course we know is the Witch King later on, and the Witch King charges him he tries to jump and stab the Witch King in the foot. Meanwhile, he gets stabbed in the shoulder. It's a very brief episode, but we get a detailed description of it. Similarly, when Eowyn fights the Witch King in The Return of the King, you get, similarly, a brief but detailed account of what happens. The Witch King gets up off of his dead mount, swings his mace, breaks her shield. She falls down. He stoops. He's going to raise his mace for the final kill. Mary stabs him. He falls forward, Eowyn then stabs him in the face, and then he it says his shoulders kind of sink, basically signifying he's dead. So you get the detail, because these are very, you know, personal combat situations, very plot-important situations, but by and large, other action sequences, like the Battle of the Five Armies, the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, Helm's Deep even, uh, you get little glimpses of detail here and there, but by and large, it's giving you just a broad sweep of this is kind of what's happening on the field, and they don't really go into a whole lot of detail in terms of, you know, what each individual character is doing other than a couple of interesting points. So, for example, in Helm's Deep, it's mostly saying 
you know, at some point the elves, man I mean, not the elves, the orcs managed to break in through the culvert and they have to fight them back. They cover up the culvert, then they blow up the culvert. And in between all of that, you get uh, an attack up the causeway against the main gate. And it says that several times Aragorn and Aomer, in the novel, Aomer is actually at Helm's Deep the whole time. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't read the novel. Uh, but they go out and they actually fight back the orcs multiple times. And there's one little interesting instance where uh, they run out there, fight off a bunch of orcs, and they're about to head back behind the gate, which is starting to weaken. One of the orcs was only pretending to be dead, grabs Aragorn's uh, ankle, causes him to fall, and then Gimli, who they didn't even know was there, kind of leaps out of the darkness and kills the orc. It makes for an interesting episode. Again, it's kind of a personal element because it's Gimli saving Aragorn. It's not just combat for combat's sake. And then, again, with the Battle of the Palenor Fields, you get more or less a huge sweep view of what's going on. So you get uh, the Rohirrim charge. You get some basic information about what result that has on the battlefield. Then you get the interruption of the Witch King, you know, killing Theoden and Eowyn's battle, and then you get the Corsairs, or what appear to be the Corsairs, arrive, which turns out to be Aragorn. They all end up turning the tide of battle, and then it just basically kind of gives a huge summary of, you know, the orcs ran away, and, you know, certain characters ended up unscathed because they were just that good. So there's really broad sweeps in terms of especially main battles. You really only get details whenever there's some kind of personal element involved or whether it's sort of important to the plot somehow. So that's the approach to action in the novels. Now let's compare the Lord of the Rings movies. So in the Lord of the Rings movies, of course, the action gets ramped up quite a bit. You get much longer action sequences than you do in the books. You don't get you know, brief, you know, encounters, which are kind of described, which makes sense. I mean, you have to actually show something on screen when there's an action sequence. But even to the extent that they had to do that to a degree, they kind of extended the action scenes longer than necessary. They also made a lot more combat encounters, a lot more personal, character-driven than are in the book. So, for example... In the Fellowship, where the Urukai, you know, catch up with the Fellowship, and they end up killing Boromir, kidnapping Merry and Pippin. In the novel, you really don't get much of any kind of description of that happening until after the fact, and then it just kind of describes it. You know, Gimli and Legolas were hunting for, you know, killing orcs in the woods, and then you Aragorn, of course, fought off some, or well, actually, he actually didn't fight off any orcs at all. He kind of heard that there were, because he heard Boromir's horn, ran off, and eventually found Boromir dead, or near dead. There's really not a whole lot of action going on in that scene at all, because you only hear about it after the fact from Legolas and Gimli's perspective, and from Boromir's perspective. And both of those are basically just recounting, this is what happened, telling Aragorn. But in the movie, of course, we get a really long, drawn-out scene where you see Aragorn, Gimli, Legolas, and Boromir, of course, fighting off orcs. And 
it's just kind of on and on and on. It drags on for a pretty good while. And there's a reason for that in the Fellowship. It's partially because they need kind of a villain in the movie that's not just out there. Nobody, <laughs> you know, Sauron and Saruman don't really play heavy roles. The the character whose name is Lurtz, if you, you may not know that, if you haven't like looked into the appendices or paid attention to the credits, but the, the main Urukai that Aragorn ends up fighting at the very end, his name is Lurtz. They kind of put him in there as a substitute villain, kind of a, a boss fight, so to speak, just so there would be some kind of capstone enemy to fight off. And that kind of makes sense from a cinematic perspective, but it also kind of takes away from the point of the episode. Because the point of the episode is not to say that this is an encounter with the villain. It's more to point out the problem with the ring and, and the issues it's causing within the group, and particularly with Boromir. Because it's about Boromir's fall and then his subsequent redemption by sacrifice, essentially. So it kind of changes the point of that episode from a character arc-focused episode about Boromir and a plot-changing device because of the capture of Marion Pippin into kind of a this-is-the-end-of-the-movie type of thing, which is ironic because in the books, it actually, you don't even find out most of this combat happened until the two towers. So... You could see why they did it for cinematic purposes, but it does very much change the nature of the episode. Similarly, you get a lot of other stuff. You get with the, the Black Riders attack on Weathertop. It's a very different scenario than in the book, because in the book, it's just, you know, they're kind of approaching slowly. Frodo puts on the ring. Witch King comes up, stabs him, and then they're gone. Whereas in the movie, you get a combat scene between Aragorn and five ring rates, which doesn't make much sense to begin with for the simple reason that I don't care how good of a swordsman you are. One guy can't fight off five. It's not possible. Um, especially five guys who have been around a long time and had plenty of time to practice. Uh, so it's, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense on its own terms. Plus the fact that you're, you're looking at a situation in which in the book, it's like they're trying to accomplish their goal. Once they've stabbed him, they realize they've probably done that, and then they leave. Whereas in the movie, it's not quite clear why they're sticking around to fight, and then they just kind of run away. It's kind of weird. But, of course, it becomes a much longer, drawn-out action scene than it is in the move, in the book. And similarly, even with Eowyn versus the Witch King, you get a similar kind of extension of the time frame you get a much longer kind of duel between Eowyn and the Witch King because in the book, basically, once she kills the fell beast that the Witch King is on, he gets up, he swings his mace one time, her shield and arm are broken, and after that, Mary stabs him and he's, you know, gets stabbed in the face and he's dead. Whereas they kind of make it a little bit of a fight in the movie, which you can kind of understand why they do that. It builds a little tension, and so it's not quite as bad of a as an example as the the ring rates on Weathertop. But it does again. It kind of extends that, and of course, you get the the major battle sequences, Helm's Deep, uh, and the Pelennor Fields. Those get dragged out 
over really long segments of time, and they end up taking up a lot of you know film time that could have been dedicated to more interesting plot points. Because do we really need to see that they're in the middle of a battle for 20 minutes? You know, I mean, it's chopped up a bit in most cases because it kind of switches back between different plot lines, Frodo and Sam and, you know, the different battles and whatnot. But did we really need to see that much battle sequence? Probably not. Uh, and, and I will say, though, that some of what they do actually does a pretty good job. So when the Rohirrim arrive at Minas Tirith... They actually, I think, did a really good job there in terms of picking up the feel that Tolkien describes in the novel where the same thing happens. You get the sun rising behind the Rohirrim, they charge down, you get this really great crescendo of music. It does a really good job of capturing that, that feel of what Tolkien is describing in words. So that particular part of the Battle of the Polinor Fields, I think, worked out really well. It's just kind of the fact that they drag the rest of it out and especially like when the, the Rohirrim are fighting the Mumakil, the, the huge elephants, if, if you don't remember what that means, again, that kind of, it's like it becomes a little extreme. And that's the other thing about the way the action gets handled. Anytime Legolas is involved, it gets a little over the top because he's a 3,000-year-old elf, and that means he's apparently capable of doing anything, which, you know... As a movie per se, that's not horrible, but as a movie adaptation of what is supposed to be a real world kind of a thing, it doesn't really work because in Tolkien's real world of Middle Earth, nobody can do the sorts of things that, <laughs> that Legolas is doing in the movies. It just doesn't happen. So that's another key way in which the movies differ very significantly from the book. I mean, in the book, you even get Legolas basically saying in the Helm's Deep battle, I wish there was more light for shooting because it's not easy when it's dark. And he's an elf, you know, I mean, he's got better vision than humans, and he's saying this. So, I mean, Legolas has the same limitations, more or less, as humans, but in the movies, they treat him like he's almost godlike in his ability to do things in action sequences just because he's an elf and he's 3,000 years old. You know, I mean, it just, it kind of takes away, especially because it makes you wonder, why don't they just send Legolas out there to kill all the bad guys? Because apparently he could. You know, it takes away a little of the tension. So even on a cinematic scale, it, it kind of defeats its own purpose. It adds a little bit of wow factor and a little bit of humor occasionally, but as a as a overall tool, it kind of kills it. But anyway, that's the Lord of the Rings. Now let's talk more about The Hobbit. What can I say about The Hobbit? Well, the action sequences are basically terrible. You get a few action sequences that are similar to the ones in The Lord of the Rings that, again, you could call them boss fights. You know, whenever Thorin faces the uh, Azog, the main orc, who shouldn't even be alive in this movie, by the way. He was supposed to have been killed earlier in the story, if you read the novel. Um, but if you, you, know, you watch the boss fights, they're a little more serious, but you get a lot of action scenes that are just so bad. I mentioned towards the end of the last segment, Legolas's over-the-top action sequences. 
dial that up to about 20 and that's what you get in a lot of the action sequences in the Hobbit movies. Because, and one of the key examples of this is when the the dwarves and Bilbo are trying to escape from, well, Bilbo's not really involved, but when they're trying to escape from the goblins in the Misty Mountains, you get this huge extended action sequence where they're basically just creaming goblins left and right, and there's no there's no cinematic tension at all. There's no purpose to it. By the way, in the novel, they had no weapons. They were just running for their lives because they were horribly outnumbered, and that's what would have made more sense. Instead, we get 13 dwarves and one wizard just absolutely slaughtering huge crowds of goblins just endlessly, and it just goes on and on and on and on. Anyway, point being, it drags out way too long. It ends up being way too... It, it's, it's beyond comical. It becomes to the point that it's just absurd. Uh, you basically get the impression that the dwarves are invincible, and it makes you wonder, how did the goblins actually manage to bring them to the Goblin King without all just getting killed? Because if they're this capable when they have a few weapons, how are they not almost as capable even when they were tied up and being dragged along? Because apparently goblins are terrible fighters and can't actually engage in any kind of critical thinking in a combat situation. So that's one example. Then you get other examples like... <laughs> there's just so many bad ones. Uh, the, another, the another one that comes to mind, though, is where the, the dwarves fight off the spiders in Mirkwood. This is supposed to be Bilbo's moment, where Bilbo does all the work because the dwarves are... They've got spider venom. They can barely move. They're sick. Uh, but in the movie, they just pick up their weapons, which the spiders apparently just didn't bother to get rid of, and they start just slaughtering spiders left and right. Well, how did they get captured in the first place? You know, I mean, it's like, again, it, it begs the question. And, of course, it ends up just being a huge, long, drawn-out action scene. Then you get the really absurd action scene of when the dwarves escape from King Thranduil, and they're all... I just hate to even talk about it because it's so bad. They're all in barrels going down the river, going down rapids, fighting off goblins, and meanwhile Legolas is jumping from barrel to barrel doing his, you know, godly, god-level, you know, combat skills. And you're just watching it going, okay, that's kind of neat for comedy, but this is The Hobbit. You know, we just watched The Lord of the Rings 10, 15 years ago, and now we're watching... This? It's kind of terrible. Uh, you do get a few decent action scenes, but even the decent action scenes are, again, serving no particular purpose in terms of the plot. So you get Legolas's fight against Bolg, which, as an action scene, is at least a good action scene. But what's the point of it? I mean, it's just showing that elves hate orcs? I mean, we knew that. We don't get any substantive plot development. We don't get any character development. It's just an action scene for the sake of an action scene. By the way, the orcs were never supposed to be in Lake Town to begin with, so that's all a waste of time anyhow. You get, um, after, the, after they escape from the goblins in the Misty Mountains, you have uh, Azog and the rest of the his orcs facing off against Thorin and company in the pine trees, and then you get kind of an action sequence there, which, 
at first looks like it's kind of going to mirror the book, and then it turns out, oh, we're actually going to have Thorin come down and sword fight against Ozog, and he gets creamed, and then Bilbo kind of jumps in, and then all the other dwarves jump in, and it starts to become another action scene. Again, it doesn't really serve a whole lot of purpose. It's, I mean, in The Hobbit, you have to remember, the dwarves are merchants, by and large, especially the younger ones, they've never seen combat because they've, you know, they, they were too young at the time that Smaug took over the Lonely Mountain. And the ones that did have any kind of experience in battle, probably not many of them because there hadn't been any major battles for a long time for the dwarves. Even the older ones that might have had some experience, they have gotten accustomed to a life of basically making things, trading things, and selling things because it's all they could do. They didn't have a kingdom. They were trying to scrape a living in a world that wasn't really their own anymore. So all of the action sequences involving the dwarves, other than the Battle of the Five Armies where they actually did acquire you know, weapons and armor at Mount Erebor, they didn't have weapons for the entire movie, basically or the entire novel, I should say. They had them throughout the movie because action scenes. So there's a lot of just mess going on. And then the Battle of the Five, Ar Five Armies itself is another crazy example because you get just crazy outlandish things happening. And part of it's because there's a lot of elves involved and elves can do impossible things. And then you also have the whole, the, the dwarves, you know, whenever they shoot those giant, arrow shredder <laughs> umbrella things, whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, you get just huge spectacle without any serious, why is this here? And in the novel, again, they didn't even start fighting each other. Gandalf kind of stopped them long enough for the orcs to show up, and then they all start fighting the orcs. They didn't have any fights between themselves because they didn't quite get that far. Uh, but then you get Another long, drawn-out action sequence, and a lot of it. And I don't want to go into all the details, but you finally get another boss fight between Thorin and Azog, which at least has some cinematic tension, unlike so much of the other stuff, because on the way up there, you have Balin and some of the other dwarves just, again, taking out orcs left and right with no real threat to themselves. You get the idea they're completely invincible, Thorin, Feely, and Keeley finally make it to the top of the mountain, and they have something like real cinematic tension occur once Thorin starts fighting Ozog. You don't even really see Feely and Keeley. Well, I take that back. One of them actually does get killed in a fight. The other one gets killed after he's been captured. But then you've got Dwalin, who's with him, and again, no cinematic tension. He's just killing all the orcs that come at him because that's just easy. Speaking of which, I should have mentioned in the in the Lord of the Rings segment, there's a segment like that in the movie, in the Helm's Deep, where they're defending the gate, and it's Aragorn versus Gimli. They're literally just spinning in circles, holding their weapons out, just killing every orc that comes up. It's like, because the orcs don't have shields or blocking skills? You know, I mean, it just, some of these things just get absurd. So anyway, you have some halfway decent action scenes in terms of just action scene for action scene's sake in The Hobbit, but even then they don't really advance the plot or do any kind of character development. The most interesting ones 
are the ones where Thorin faces off against Ozog because you actually have the tension not only of the combat itself, but I hate your guts. But, you know, the rest of them are just absolutely terrible. The Hobbit doesn't even know how to do action sequences, and most of them don't belong in the movie. So, I'll stop there. This has turned out to be a long video because there's just so many action scenes to talk about and the ways that they did it right or did it wrong, but I'm going to leave it here. So, that is action scenes in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit novels versus the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies. You can see a very clear progression that is very swiftly downgrading after the Lord of the Rings, so... You know, it's part of what makes the Hobbit movies terrible. It's not just the action scenes. Lots of things make it bad, but the action scenes certainly don't help. Lord of the Rings at least did relatively decent action scenes for the most part, again, with the exception of Legolas and a couple of other minor points. But at least for the most part, there was cinematic tension and that sort of thing, even if they did take away from the main purposes of those events in the novels. So... This is part of the reason why, you know, Christopher Tolkien has basically come out and said that the Lord of the Rings movies weren't that great, and that's putting it mildly. <laughs> he put it in much more strong fashion than that, but it's the idea that, you know, you turn these into action movies, and that's really not what they are. They're not action stories. And he's right. You know, there's, there's action in the novels because it is a war, but the action is never the focus. And Lord of the Rings turned it not entirely into the focus, but put a little too much attention to it. And then The Hobbit, ugh, The Hobbit just took it way, way too far. So anyway, if you thought that this comparison was interesting, or if you'd like to learn more stuff about Lord of the Rings, or other works by Tolkien, or just about Tolkien's life, then please subscribe to the channel. You can also follow me at Twitter, at J-R-R-T Lore, and please like and share the video. Till the next time, I'm the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namadie.